Father, thank you for this beautiful, powerful, gracious Jesus that we sing to and we worship this morning. And Lord, I pray for every person in here, Lord, that we would see Christ for who he is. Not for who we want him to be, but for who he is. And God, we pray for every Christian that you would call them to follow Jesus. In ways that they have not yet experienced before, may they follow you, Lord. And Lord, I pray for everybody who's not a Christian here, Lord, that you would work in their lives and help them see for the first time with faith your beautiful and gracious call when you said to Matthew, follow me. Lord, may you make people by your power follow you today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, good morning. Yeah, you may be seated. Welcome to Living Waters. I'm the lead pastor, preaching pastor Josh, and I'm so thankful that you guys are here. If you're here with us for the first time, welcome. This is very cool to have you here, and uh, you have a home here at Living Waters. As long as you're here, this, is, this can be home for you, and we are so thankful that you're here. We praise God. Um, we're going to be, yep, harmony. Not a lot of harmony with harmony right now. Amen. She's so cute. She's too cute to be angry at. Amen. She's too cute. Uh, But we're in Matthew chapter 9 this morning. So if you have a copy of God's Word, go ahead and open it up to Matthew 9. And we're going to be reading verses 9 through 13 together. So Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. As you're turning there, let me just make a quick commercial. I had someone ask me at the 8.30 service about this, so I'm just going to say it from up front at the 10. If you're newer with us and you missed the announcements, we're hosting what's called a Values Night next Sunday night at Pastor Andy's house at 5 o'clock. Um, Values Night is for those who are newer to, to Living Waters. So you're just, you're just around lately, and we just want to invite you over to Pastor Andy's house uh, we're going to see how many people we can stuff inside of Andy's house. Amen? That's going to be a great party. Uh, we, we're going to fit as many people as we can. We'll go upstairs, downstairs if needed. Uh, but God's been really gracious and good to us at church, and we have a lot of newer people at church, which we love. We want to come get to know you. So Values Night is just a night where we have coffee and food, and we talk about the cultural values of our church. So that's next week. If you are uh, newer, you're invited, and we hope that you can come. You can register online. Okay, there we go. I said it. All right, uh, Matthew 9, 9 through 13. This is the word of God for us this morning. Starting in verse 9, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, that those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Praise God for the reading and hearing of his word. Amen. 
So as we continue this series, we are in our Countdown to Easter series. So from now till Easter, April 17th, we will be studying the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to be walking through Matthew, and we're going to be looking at some of Jesus' most famous teachings, some of his most famous miracles, some of his most famous interactions with humanity during his ministry, which all lead up to the cross and the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ on Easter. So this morning's sermon title is, I came to call sinners. I came to call sinners. And I I'm really good at titles. Jesus says it in verse 13, so I thought, well, that'd probably be a pretty good title. I came not to call the righteous, in verse 13, I came to call sinners. Now, if you look at the Gospel of Matthew, he is arguing that Jesus is the King. He is the Lord over all heaven and earth, and he is ushering in the kingdom of God in the Gospel of Matthew, restoring all things that are lost. And so Jesus is healing, he's teaching, and he's restoring things as to as they were. Now, he's reaching people and he is saving people in his ministry, even tax collectors named Matthew. And that's where we walk into Matthew 9 this morning. Jesus is doing healing and, and teaching ministry, but he comes to this tax booth in verses 9 through 13, and he meets a man named Matthew. And he calls Matthew to himself, and he saves Matthew and gives him a new start. So this is the passage for us this morning. For those of you who don't know much about Matthew, okay, Matthew is a tax collector, and if you have seen the, the TV show, The Chosen, if you've seen that, okay, we know what Matthew looks like. This is what Matthew looks like. Okay, so a lot of you know Matthew in, in The Chosen, he's super quirky, he's really geeky, he does numbers and stuff, and, he, and his movement, his body movements are odd and all this stuff. He is hilarious to watch on the show because they're doing their best job. Is that what Matthew is really like? I don't know, and neither does the chosen, but we'll find out in heaven. Amen? We'll get to meet Matthew. Um, what we know from this account in Matthew 9 is that there are two parallel passages, one in Luke chapter 5 verses 27 through 38, and Mark chapter 2, verses 14 through 22. So the synoptic gospels tie the story of Matthew together for us. And if you think about the gospel of Matthew, it was written by Matthew. And Matthew is talking about Matthew. So this is Matthew's personal testimony about his conversion to Christ. Now, if you think about how impressive this is, He gives his testimony in six sentences, and his conversion is one sentence. So, life goal for you Christians, if you're thinking about your testimony, it's too long, it's three sheets, it's five sheets, try the Matthew version and funnel your testimony into one sentence. Try that on for size. That is very impressive. But I think it's really cool because Matthew's writing about his own testimony and he is making much of Jesus, not himself, which is very cool. All right, so the big idea in this text this morning is that Jesus' mission is to save sinners who know that they need to be saved. Jesus' mission is full of grace and it's full of truth, but his mission is to save sinners who know that they need 
to be saved. All right. So verse 13, Jesus says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So in that day, Jesus was always searching out those sinners who are not just common sinners, sinners who know they need salvation. Jesus was always searching out these folks, right? And he was finding them and he was moving them towards forgiveness and salvation. I would say in 2022, it's still the same. Amen? Jesus is still searching people out and he's still finding people. And who's he finding? He's finding people who know they need to be saved. And that's very important for our message this morning as we look at this um, story and this account of Matthew. So this morning, as we look, here's the question that's begging to be asked. Who does Jesus save and who does he not save? Who does Jesus save and who does he not save? This is important for us because we live in a culture that is so um, like, like, like universal salvation based that we think everybody's going to heaven, no matter if you are a Jesus follower or a religious person of any stripe. We, we like to say as a culture, well, everybody's probably going to be good enough and get to heaven and all that stuff. And Jesus will save anybody and all this. But listen, Jesus is going to smack us a little bit in the face spiritually to say, there are some people I will save. And for those of you who are universal salvationists, there are some people I will not save. And you need to make note of that because Jesus is full of grace, but he's also full of truth. Amen? And he's going to tell us both. So if you're an unbeliever this morning, I want to encourage you like this, this account of Matthew should save your soul. If you're listening and you're not a Christian, and this, this account should compel you to be saved. It absolutely should. And if you're a Christian... This account should pull you back in a lot of ways to when you got saved, and it should move you toward following Jesus in your sanctification growth process, and if you're a Christian, it's like loaded up for you, right? You should be pulling other sinners towards Jesus while you go, amen? Okay, so we're going to look at different types of people that Jesus does save and the types of people that he does not. So point number one is this in the text, Jesus saves the self-absorbed. He saves the self-absorbed. Verse nine, Jesus passed on from there and he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax collector booth and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Matthew was a tax collector, which means he was a hated, hated man, right? Nobody liked Matthew. Matthew was very um, driven by money, very driven by wealth, very driven by exacting taxes from his fellow countrymen. Matthew was also, um, let's just say it this way, he was self-absorbed. He was worried about his riches, his job, his stuff. And certainly, he didn't care a lot about his fellow countrymen, his fellow Israelites, because he was collecting taxes on behalf of the Roman government, right? You want a quick way to become unpopular in your culture, right? Become Matthew. You're part trader and you're part IRS agent, all right? This is Matthew. Does this give you a better picture in America, what I'm talking about? He's part trader and he's part IRS agent. So he's the guy, Matthew is the guy 
growing up in elementary school and high school that you didn't like very much. Like, he was the guy that was always like pushing his glasses up and he's looking at the numbers and he's like, no, that doesn't compute that way. And um, I don't think that that's right. And you're like, come on, man. Some of you are accountants and I ask for forgiveness, right? But listen, listen, Matthew was that guy who was always just doing the things as it was written down on the page, no grace. He had, he had made a fortune personally on the backs of the taxation money of his fellow Israelites. So he was not a popular man. He was a man that was probably sitting in his tax booth wondering, what am I doing with my life, really? Like, I'm collecting taxes from the very people I live with. Nobody likes me. I am a truth teller. I'm collecting taxes on every single tax. Now, you need to understand what kind of taxes we're talking about. Matthew would collect taxes for income taxes, you know, property taxes, all that stuff. But he would also do the Chicago interstate system thing too. He would be collecting poll taxes and road taxes. He, it got so bad, Matthew was a, a taxation guy who would tax your cart and your horses as you come through, the donkeys and horses. Like if you saw Matthew's tax booth coming up, you'd be like, oh my goodness, no, it's Matthew. He's going to tax our wheels and our axles, and he's going to invent new areas of tax. It sounds a lot like the IRS, does it not? Like, there's taxes on everything these days in America, and that's exactly how it was back then. And Matthew might have been one of the worst. He taxes everything, and he's sitting there in his tax booth, and Jesus walks up to this man, and he says, you follow me. Two words, follow me. And Matthew, this wicked tax collector, looks at Jesus who graciously and strongly tells him to follow me. And he rises up and follows him, which means he gave up his job. He gave up his money. He gave up his reputation. He gave up all of it in a moment to follow Jesus. This is amazing. Now, I want to make a quick point about Jesus and how he asks Matthew to follow him. Jesus is very straight up, right? Two words, follow me. That's quite a sentence. Gracious, yes. Direct, absolutely. And I just want to make a comment about wimpy Jesus. We have a theology of wimpy Jesus in our culture today where it's just like, Jesus is a wimp. If you would just, I mean, Jesus is really the servant here. You're really the authority figure, American. You're, you just need to, if you can just accept him into your heart, and if he can just be your buddy and your pal, he'll give you eternal life, and he'll, you just need to, Jesus will do whatever he, he can do to get you into the kingdom. American Christian, please just come and just, just understand Jesus is ready just to come and just do whatever your bidding is. That is junk. Amen? Jesus says two words. Follow me. Was it gracious? Yes. Was it authoritative? Yes. Who is this man that the winds and the waves obey him? Who is this man that says, follow me, and grown men leave their jobs and their, their careers to follow? Jesus is not weak. Jesus is not soft. 
He is not wimpy. He is the God-man, Lord of the universe. And in a day and age that we live in where Jesus is constantly being put, pulled off of his throne and put over to the side with everything else you're worshiping, I'm telling you this morning, Jesus is the man. He is the God-man. And when he says, follow me, he means it. So, all right, off of soapbox. If you boil salvation down to its most basic elements, it's the phrase, follow me. If you want to boil down what it means to be saved, what does it mean to be saved? Follow Jesus. Are you following Jesus? I don't care what prayer you prayed. I don't care what you're leaning on. Are you following Jesus? That's what it means to be saved. 38 times in the New Testament, this phrase, follow me, is is given. All right, let's just give a few examples from the Gospel of Matthew alone. To Peter and Andrew in Matthew 4.19, Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. To the curious inquirer in Matthew 8.22, the guy said, well, I got to go bury my my, uh, in-laws, I got to go bury my parents first. And Jesus said to me, said, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. To his disciples in Matthew 16, Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. In Matthew 19, 21, Jesus told the young, rich young ruler, if you would be perfect, go sell all that you possess, give to the poor, you'll have treasure in heaven, and then you, what class, come and follow me, right? So Jesus, when he saves people today, he he graciously finds tax-collecting sinners sitting in their booths. Don't we sit in our booths still today? We got a little tax collector in us. Can I get a witness? We got a little bit of Matthew in us where we're sitting at our tax collector booth. We're feeling guilt and shame and riches and, and money and all this stuff. And we feel the weight of what are we doing with our lives Jesus still comes to sinners today in 2022, and he says, hey, you, you come follow me. And what he says when he says, follow me, he says, follow me instead of following your own mind and understanding. When he says, follow me, he says, follow me instead of the sinful desires inside of you. When Jesus says, follow me, he says, follow me instead of the lost culture around you. Follow me instead of Satan and his dark armies. Follow me instead of your social media. Follow me instead of your comfort and riches. And deep down, if we're honest, we all have this tax collector's heart inside of us where we are just hoping that Jesus will show up someday and bring clarity to our darkness and our confusion and say, hey, come follow me. Get rid of all that. I know for me, when I got saved, it was the summer of 1999. I was not sitting in a tax booth, but I was sitting in a laundry room of a hotel in New York City on the 27th floor. Sitting there wallowing around in my sexual sin and my perversion and my cussing and my swearing and my carrying on and doing all that stuff. And then all of a sudden, Jesus says, hey, Josh, how about you come follow me? Changed my life. Just the other day, a lady and a husband, I was talking with them and they said, Pastor, we didn't know what to think coming to your church. 
we started coming to your church and we started hearing all these messages and there's all these things going on in my brain and I'm trying to process everything and I'm starting to see what Jesus is and I didn't grow up churched and dad was church, mom wasn't churched and I didn't, I didn't grow up with any church and I'm coming to your church and I'm hearing all this stuff and she said, and I realized that it's just all about Jesus and she told me just the other day, just recently, I was sitting in my house and I knew that I needed to follow Jesus and I got saved. Praise God. How cool is that? Now listen, if you're a Christian, you've like, you got a lot of Matthew in you still though, right? There's tax collector mentalities inside you. You're a sinner. You're wicked. You know it. And some of you Christians are like, well, you know, I followed Jesus that one time. I got saved and praise God, I don't have to do that again. Amen? Ha, ha, ha. To follow Jesus at salvation is the first step. But you all know, Jesus comes again to your tax booth and says, hey, I know you're born again, you're going to heaven, but you know what? Follow me. So some of you Christians are at a crossroads where you are, are wondering, what do I do next? And Jesus is saying, follow me. Don't be self-absorbed. Say no to your tax collector in you know, impulses and say yes to Christ. Jesus saves the self-absorbed sinner. Praise God. Number two, Jesus saves the scandalous. Jesus saves the scandalous. Verse 10, and as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. The word reclined there means to sit down at a table, to eat, to hang out. Jesus was hanging out with Matthew and all of the tax collectors and the sinners. There's a bunch of them all together. And um, I love this. I love every part of this. Because the first thing Matthew did to celebrate his conversion to Christ was invite all of his sinner buddies together to hear Jesus. How cool is that? Amen? Matthew wanted all of his friends to know Jesus. Now, when you get saved, the first impulse that you will feel as a brand new Christian is to get all your friends together to hear about Christ. That is the best thing. You remember that impulse? You remember when that happened to you? What happened to that? What happened to that impulse? What happened to the joy you used to have? And you're like, well, Josh, practically... I did not expect to receive the two-by-four to the face when I invited all my friends together to hear about Jesus, and they're like, I don't want that. You know, like that was a hard thing for me. Well, welcome to the Christian family, right? You, you step out in faith, you get hurt, you got to keep doing it. But Matthew, his impulse is right. The dinner party was right, and it was financed by Matthew. He paid all the money to finance this dinner. Luke 5.29 says he paid all the bills. And this dinner party was a mix of Matthew's friends and Jesus' followers. And the text says that there are a lot of people here. It says many tax collectors and sinners came to this dinner. And Jesus made himself available to the many people that were there. And this was a scandal to look at. This was a scandalous thing. Jesus is the alleged Messiah. He is the alleged rabbi that is coming to save the world from sin. And here he is 
hanging out with all these unreputable, bad people that don't go to church, don't go to synagogue. They all are condemned by society. And here's Jesus sitting with all of them. And the onlookers are looking and saying, this is a scandal. What is going on with this? Who is this man? So Jesus, the dinner tells us very powerful things about him. Number one, Jesus purposely spent time with these people who were messed up, stained, and known for wickedness. Do you remember last week's powerful sermon by Andy? So good. Do you remember Jesus was purposely asleep? And many of you were like, yeah, that's true about my life too. It feels like he's sleeping on me. Jesus fell asleep on purpose. Here's another thing Jesus does on purpose. He purposely makes time to hang out with tax collectors and sinners. He does it on purpose. It's not an accident. He makes a decision. And if you're going to be a Christian evangelist and a witness for Christ, you have to stop saying, well, someday I'll evangelize. Someday I'll get around to sharing the gospel with somebody. Someday. How about you schedule it? Amen? How about you schedule some time with some unbelievers? That'd be the best thing for your growth in Christ. It'll push you. It'll bless your life. And some of you are currently walking in disobedience to the Great Commission. You haven't shared Christ with anybody for a long time because you're not being intentional and on purpose like Jesus was. Jesus hung out with these people because they were hungry. I mean, who knows that they're a sinner more than the tax collectors? They know they're messed up. They know their life's not put together. They come because they want to hear what Matthew is telling them. That Jesus Christ is the one who gives forgiveness. They're all about that. Maybe I can be forgiven. Maybe my life can turn around. But listen, Jesus, when he hung out with them, he meant to win them over to God. Jesus meant to win them over to God. This is very important. Jesus understood he was not operating a country club. He was operating a hospital. Can I get a witness? Right? He understood he was not operating a country club. He was operating a hospital. Now, here's an important point to to talk about when we're talking about hanging out with sinners because some of you are going to take this verse and you'll be like, all right, that's my Jesus. He's got a Bud Light hanging out with all the other sinners and we're just sharing. This Bud's for you, right, Lord? You know, like, and you think like, well, that's what I should do too. But for many of you, don't swing the pendulum so far where all you're concerned about is hanging out with sinners so that you can sin and not share Jesus. Jesus did it with a purpose. He wasn't just hanging out to hang out. He was hanging out in order to win these men and women to God. And so it should be with us. If we are going to take on the task of reaching the scandalous in our culture, we have to do so with a purpose. Kevin DeYoung said it this way. He said, it's, it's all too easy and amazingly common for Christians to take the general truth that Jesus was a friend of sinners and twist it out of all biblical recognition. So here's the progression. Jesus ate with sinners becomes, well, Jesus loved a good party, which then becomes Jesus was more interested in showing love than taking sides. Can I get a 2022 Amen. We got a lot of people preaching this gospel, saying, well, it's just better to show love than take sides. That is not what Jesus said. That's not what Jesus is doing with hanging out with sinners. 
which becomes Jesus always sided with religious outsiders, which becomes Jesus would blow bubbles for violations of the Torah. Jesus was not just hanging out with sinners to hang out. And so many Christians today need to take notes of this passage and say, if I'm going to hang out with the scandalous, praise God, I should do it with a purpose to win them to Jesus. Because what I used to be a part of, I don't want to be a part of anymore. I'm showing them the hope that I have in Christ, not, hey, can I catch up with my old worldly habits? So if you've, two, two applications, if you've ever felt scandalous, maybe like you're walking into church and like, I'm kind of scandalous. I'm kind of like not with the religious in. I'm, I feel like I'm outside of the in circle. This passage is for you. If you feel scandalous, God loves you. Jesus loves you. You're here on purpose. You need to trust in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. But if you are a Christian and you're trying to outreach to scandalous people, praise the Lord. Do it, but do it on purpose. Be determined to not sacrifice your faith as you reach out. Jesus loves to save the scandalous sinner. Number three, Jesus does not save the self-righteous. He does not save the self-righteous. Verse 11 through 13. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go learn what it means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Why does your teacher eat with? The Pharisees, they show up to the party and they ruin the party. You ever had people show up to your party and ruin the party? Of course you have, all right? Man, they just show up and they ruin it. They're, they're just like, this, what? What is this? What are, they're incredulous. This is unrighteous what is happening here. This is bad. The accusations are very self-righteous because these men were self-righteous. There's, listen to what Pastor Andy said earlier this week. I quoted him and put him on the screen because it's so good. Andy said this, there's nothing kind or honest about the Pharisees. Hmm, that's good. Praise God for our counseling pastor. Amen. There's nothing kind or honest about these men who show up and start condemning Jesus and this party. Okay, what, what about the Pharisees was wrong? Well, their conduct was sneaky. They were really sneaky. They didn't address Jesus directly. They did the end around. They didn't have the courage to say this to Jesus' face. So they come up to the disciples and they're just sneaky. Like, why is your, hey, why is your teacher doing this? What's wrong with your teacher? They're, they're sneaky. They're grumbly, right? They're super grumbly here. Why is your teacher eating with <clears throat> people like them? I mean, people, people like them. What's up with that? Why are, they, why are they hanging with people like that? Why is your teacher staining himself with people like those people? They were also condemning. They were not hoping to learn anything from Jesus by the question. They were not seeking to grow with the question. They were seeking to ask the question to condemn Jesus and the tax collectors and Matthew and the disciples. They had no real intention of learning anything. They only had an intention of condemning what they saw. But Jesus, when he heard it, he addresses it and he directly speaks to these men and he says this. He says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. So Jesus goes right at him and he says, look, doctors are supposed to hang out with sick people. Okay? 
doctors are supposed to hang out with sick people. If you have a doctor hanging out with only healthy people all the time, do you really have a doctor? No, just an online one, right? That's it. <laughs> Doctors are meant to hang out with, with sick people. That's what Jesus says first. And then he goes and he says, you Pharisees, learn what this means. Go learn what this means. That phrase, learn what this means, is a zinger phrase from Jesus. He is t- this is what a, a phrase that was commonly used by rabbis to their students Hey, you know what, young guy, young gal, you got a lot to learn. Go learn what this means. You haven't learned what this means yet. Go learn what this means. So they come with condemnation to Jesus. Jesus returns fire with condemnation, speaking down to them, saying, Guys, go learn what the scriptures actually mean. Wow. Boom. And he says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. This is a quote from Hosea 6.6. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. What this means in Hosea's context was Hosea had a really hard job. He was a prophet for Israel in the time when Israel was apostate, running away from God, rebellious, enduring idols and embracing all kinds of idolatry. Hosea was prophesying constantly Not only about the downfall of Israel, but also calling the people back to heartfelt worship. So Hosea in Hosea 6 is saying, look, you're doing all the services. You're doing the sacrifices. You're doing worship stuff. You're praying. You're talking to God. You're doing all these outwardly religious things. But your heart is far from God. You are obedient, but your heart is not connected to the Father. And what Hosea was saying was that your heart is far from me. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I'm not interested in your animal sacrifices of blood as much as I'm interested in your heart being close to me. So it was for the Pharisees. They were self-righteous. They didn't think they were sick. Why would you need a doctor if you're not sick? Can I get a uh, amen from all the guys in here? You know, like, why go to the doctor? Honey, I'm not sick. You're a Pharisee, I guess. I don't know. So am I. But the Pharisees were constantly saying, I, I'm, I'm righteous. I don't know that I need any of this. I don't know that I am in trouble in any way. Jesus was calling them out. And he says, I didn't come to call the righteous. Now understand the word righteous there. Don't misinterpret that word. It's not that the Pharisees were really righteous according to God's standard of holiness, his purity, his love. These these Pharisees were not really righteous in that way. They just thought they were. And that was the danger. When you think You're righteous when you're really not. That is the most dangerous place you can possibly be as a human being. When you think you are good enough for God, everything's fine, I don't have any sin to get rid of, you are lying to yourself and you will begin to righteously judge other people and you're in big trouble. Another way to say it is this. If you don't think your life has sin in it worth repenting of, you are a self-righteous person. 
If you don't think you have any sin in your life right now to repent of, you are the most dangerous person in this room because you're not seeing yourself accurately. If we see ourselves accurately, we are wretches, we are part tax collector, part Pharisee in our heart, and we need the grace of Almighty Jesus to say, I love you, I'll forgive you, come follow me. Now, there are two pathways of self-righteousness in our culture today that I just want to touch on quickly. The first pathway is a religious pathway. All right, if you're going to be self-righteous, there's a religious way to get there. You're like the Pharisees, you follow the laws, you're a good moral person. Outwardly, everybody looks at you and says, wow, you're amazing. You're a really good guy. You're a really good gal. In Iowa, in the state of Iowa, in the Midwest, there's a lot of this. There's a lot of this where we just... We, we go with the outward and we look great to everybody else. It's dangerous if you don't see the danger of that and you don't see any need for Jesus' forgiveness. That's the religious pathway. There's also a pagan pathway towards self-righteousness. The pagan pathway is this. Maybe you profess Jesus, but you're pretty irreligious. You're a pagan, atheist, secular kind of mind. And you actually don't even think sin exists. Like you don't think there's any moral standard for anything. So therefore you just kind of live how you want to live and you want everybody else to affirm whatever you think or feel. We live in a very affirmation-based culture right now. It's very dangerous because it is self-righteous. It, it's bloating self-righteousness with no Bible verses. Everybody is like, affirm me, celebrate me. I don't care what my conduct is or what my words are. Keep affirming me. And God in heaven looks down and he says, that's repudiating to me. That is self-righteousness. And it looks like paganism. Here's where Jesus is saying, he's warning us and he's saying, look, if you're self-righteous, you don't need forgiveness from God. You just want affirmation. Affirm me in what I'm doing. The majority of the world, Jesus said, is on the danger zone of going to hell when they die, bloated with self-righteousness. Matthew 7, 22 and 23 say that. And before we look around at everybody else, how about we look here in our own hearts? You're part tax collector, you're part Pharisee. And self-righteous people, Jesus says, I didn't come to call those people. So if that's your heart, Jesus didn't come to call you, and that is a dangerous spot to be in because you need to be able to see your sin for what it is. Finally, Jesus does save sick sinners. He does. Verse 13, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance, and those who have no need of a physician, if they're doing well, but those who are sick, okay? So how many of you just don't want to go see the doctor? If you're a typical guy, you don't want to see this doctor guy, right? So whenever you don't want to see a doctor, it's just this tug of war, right? But if something were really serious in your life, you would go see a doctor. And just, just last night, I got rebuked about this because I bruised my rib playing basketball. I need to stop playing basketball. Amen. I'm way too old to be doing this. And so I bruised my rib and it's hurt the last couple of weeks. And, and my, I told my girls, I was groaning, getting up off the couch last night. And the girls are like, dad, what's wrong with you? Honey, what's wrong with you? Ah, it's nothing. No, is it your rib again? Are you hurt? Yeah, it's hurt. It's hurt all week. And I got rebuked 
oh, did I get rebuked last night, church? And they were like, no, you need to go see the doctor. And I said, no, I don't. I don't need to see the doctor. And then my daughter rebuked me and said, dad, you said last week, if it still hurt this week, you would go to the doctor. Didn't you not say that? And I'm like, stop rebuking me before my sermon tomorrow. (laughs) It's a bad look, honey. Stop it. But we all have that tendency inside of us, right? I don't want to go to a doctor. I'm fine. I'm fine. But if you know there's something deeply wrong inside your body, you'll go. You'll go. And so it is with Jesus. He said, look, if there are sick sinners out there who know deep down that they are really lost, they are really, really, really in need of a healing touch spiritually, you'll go to Jesus. You'll find him and he will heal your life. But you just have to be desperate enough to know that you need the doctor. And then he says, I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus only comes to sinners. He only dwells with sinners. He only comes to people who know that they are messed up and they need the forgiving touch of Jesus Christ. Now again, Jesus doesn't come to sinners in a way that he's winking at sin or ignoring sin or oh, we're just lighthearted here, this is just a give and take, and, and this is, let's just go drink together. That's not Jesus, okay? Jesus loves sinners in the way that he welcomes them in when they come. When you come to the doctor's office spiritually and you say, Jesus, I need some healing, he hugs you when you come. Thank you for coming. I'll heal you now. That's different. That's different. Jesus is ready and eager to meet the sinner right where they're at. So as we close our sermon this morning, we're looking at Matthew. His life is completely transformed by two words, follow me. So as we close as, as Christians, I just want to talk to you. You got tax collector inside of you. You've got Pharisee inside of you, but Jesus, if you know Christ, Jesus has come said, follow me. And you've been able to shed some of that tax collector nature and some of that Pharisee nature. It's still there, but you're, you're shedding that because you're following after Christ. So if you're a, if a Christ follower, are you thankful? And as you go, as you follow Jesus, maybe this is a new season of following him. Pull other sinners towards your table. Pull other sinners. Hey, hey, I met this guy. I follow him. Come meet this man. Come see the man who can save people. So if you're a Christian, I think this is a fresh call for you to follow Jesus. If you're not a Christian, man, self-absorbed, scandalous, Pharisee, right in there somewhere, You know you're lost. You know you're lost. And you know you need this Jesus to come say, hey, follow me. So, this is a good response time to respond to Christ and get saved. To come to Christ for the first time and confess your need for him. So, I'm going to pray. We're going to have a few minutes just to respond to God. Let the Holy Spirit speak to your life. Apply the word in whatever way God is working in your life. And then we'll sing together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for saving Matthew. Thank you for coming into Matthew's life. 
and saying, follow me. His life was never the same. And Lord, I pray for every Christian here that they would just make the next right decision to follow you, Jesus, and to bring as many sinners to their table as possible to meet you, Jesus. Lord, you're still willing. And some Christians in here are really distracted by a lot of other pressures that they're feeling. And Lord, they're, they're, they're just kind of moving away from following you. So Lord, would you call them back? And Father, if there's one person here that doesn't know Christ yet as their Savior, would you save them? Would you, would you call to them and say, follow me? And may it click in their mind for the very first time to repent and follow Jesus. Lord, do a good work in us. Help us to respond now by your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.